Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Hello, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I am your host, Shannon Vasconcellos, and I am joining you today on what is a beautiful spring day here in New England, where my guests that if you're watching this on video, you see them already, uh, are, are also enjoying this spring day with me. And we have got a great show for you today. Um, coming up later on in the show, my colleague Asia Wong will be joining me to answer your listener questions. But before we get there, we are starting out with my two guests for this first segment, regular guest on the show and my po- my colleague on the education finance team here at College Coach, Stacey McFeeders. And Hi, hello, and I'm, I'm glad to see you, Stacey, but you're kind of old hat to me. Got it. <laughs> really excited about is that with Stacy we have joining us Stacy's daughter and a rising college sophomore just finished her freshman year of college uh Delaney McPeters so welcome Delaney thank you hello everyone hi and it's always so fun for us a college coach I think when one of our colleagues is going through the admissions process with their family and last year I think there was the two of you, De- Delaney, was going through the admissions process, and then Beth's son, Jack, was also going through the process. Jack guested on the show last year, and so now we're finally got you, Delaney. Your mom finally <laughs> twisted your arm. <laughs> yeah. um, and what I think we wanted to talk to you about specifically is going through the college admissions process as a recruited athlete. Yep. And... Anyone watching the video, this is a silly question because you're wearing it on your sweatshirt, but just (laughs) for everyone listening without the visual, do you want to fill us in on where you go to school and what sport you play? Yeah, I go to WPI, which is Worcester Polytechnic Institute, and I'm on the women's basketball team. Amazing. And so thinking back in time, again, you just finished up your freshman year. Can you think back? Can you even remember, is it all a blur, (laughs) on how you started your college search and and how did basketball play into that yep so I've played basketball my whole life it's always been a passion of mine a love that I've always had and I so the recruiting process for me was a little bit different because I started it in 2020 Um, this is when COVID hit so we didn't have an AAU season so it was a lot more emailing I was sending a million emails out um all three divisions, just trying to see what I liked, see what coaches I were responding, like who I like to talk to the most. Mm-hmm. And then as we went along into my junior year, um, I started to narrow it down a little bit more, talking to a couple division two and mostly division three schools. Um, I really wanted to look for somewhere where I could have high academics as well as play a sport. I didn't mm-hmm. really want to sacrifice the academic side because I've always like done really well. I wanted to be able to continue that on as well as doing something that I loved. That's awesome. And was there, so you started emailing sophomore year of high school and then, um, is that what you said? And then visiting during junior year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As much as visits could happen because (laughs) of COVID. Yeah. COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you mentioned that WPI is a division three school. Mm-hmm. At what point in the process, or, or did you at some point narrow down to division three is going to be the best fit for me or up yep. until the end, were you still looking at other divisions or did you consider schools where you couldn't play basketball at all? Yeah, we had a kind of a running joke as I went through the process. We had a basketball school list and then a non-basketball school list. It was definitely always an option because like you never know what you're getting into, like the schools. And I definitely considered both. I feel like early junior year, I decided I wanted to go division three because I really didn't want to sacrifice academics. And I wanted to be able to get involved in clubs and meet new people. And that Mm -hmm. option is a lot more limited when you go up in divisions. Got it. And Stacey, I'll I'll throw over to you, both as a mom and as a college finance expert, 
choosing division three has certain implications for college funding. Could you kind of explain that to listeners? Yeah. So as she kind of went through the process, you know, it's complicated being someone who does what we do and then also trying to remain agnostic in your own kids process, which we tried very hard. (laughs) Um, But realistically, when she started, she officially really kicked off in her sophomore year, although she was approached by coaches starting in her freshman year, which was interesting and eye-opening for us because we had no idea where she was going to fall on the spectrum in terms of, of, of capability. Um, so it, it very much was up to her and she was very clear um, that she wanted to play only at division three, but she also did have division one and division two schools, as she said, as her non-basketball schools. Got it. Yes. So we were very aware of the implications of, um, not looking at divisions one and two where scholarship dollars are available for athletics. We recognize that she was going to focus on division three. Um, we were fortunate because she's also a very, very good student. So we knew that the trade-off for us was that she would be looking at potentially, um, academic merit scholarships, um, while also being able to be a student athlete. So we were, we were pretty excited about that prospect. Um, so when her list came together, it was a pretty interesting combination of, um, you know, non-basketball and basketball schools, but also merit opportunities versus non-merit opportunities. Um, so, you know, there wasn't that panic of, oh, she doesn't want to play division one. We've now left scholarships out. We, we didn't, we just knew we were, we were, she was, was changing the type, which we greatly appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And I, I think it kind of shows Stacy why you and I have jobs because this <laughs> process is so complicated and there are so many factors feeding into it. Are we looking at athletic scholarships, at merit scholarships, at need-based financial aid, at student loans? There's so many different factors feeding into, and that's just the financial side of it, let alone all the, um, you know, the academic side of things, the admission side of things, uh, and, and putting all those puzzle pieces together can be a challenge. So again, it's fun when, when our own colleagues go through the process to see if they practice what they preach. <laughs> Do you think you yeah, practice yeah. what you preach, Stacey? Um, for the most part, the, the, yeah. so the final decision was hers. Yeah. Um, I will give her full and complete credit and a couple colleagues on our teams as well. Uh, she was 10 for 10 in the admissions process. Um, oh. but it also obviously came down to a lot of difference, right? There was a lot of financial yeah. differences. There was a lot of academic differences. And at the end of the day, you know, we, as a family sat down and decided what was, was, you know, important for us. She decided what was most important for her, looked at the differences in costs. And then like everyone, we did sort of the, you know, assign a value to the things that matter the most. And she made the final decision in, in, you know, one year. And I, I don't think she could have made a better decision, both from the academic and, you know, social aspect of things, but certainly um, being a part of the women's basketball program at WPI has been uh, experience making for her. So that's amazing. And what were really tops on your list, Delaney? What what did make you choose WPI in the end? What set them apart from the other schools you were looking at? Um, so basketball-wise, um, as soon as I met the coach, um, I immediately clicked with her. I loved her. We were able to talk basketball. But you could tell that she also had the kind of like mom sense, like you're going to be on campus. <laughs> she's going to take care of you. Like if you're sick, like she's going to make sure you have meds. Like she's constantly checking. <laughs> I experienced that. Um, she's going to constantly make sure that you're. she's checking in. The same with the assistants. Like everyone was just so like welcoming, even when I had not yet committed and then meeting the team, it kind of just made my final decision because my high school coach and my high school teammates were very close to me. So I wanted the same kind of like family vibe that I yes. got. And immediately everyone was so welcoming, like asking me all these questions. Like they really wanted to get to know me before I even had decided that that's where I wanted to be. Um, school wise, uh, WPI runs on quarters and that was a huge draw for me. We run on seven week quarters, which is a lot faster pace, but I like to work at a lot faster pace and it's more hands-on and the teachers are, you're able to get closer to them because it's a smaller school. So that was another huge draw for me. That's great. And I'm Stacy. I'm sure you, from your end, having that welcoming environment and the the motherly coach, <laughs> would, I would guess would be comforting to you on your end as you're letting your child go into the great big world. Yeah, it was, it was pretty amazing. So I will say throughout the whole process, we were, 
ultimately able to visit a lot of schools. In the beginning, it was a lot of email, a lot of phone calls, a lot of texting, which is really neat. And families should know that. Coaches are going to text your kids. Let it happen. Um, when they revert from email to text, it feels good. Um, but then when we did start to get to visit, I, I will say that she was very fortunate. She had some, some very good schools interested in her from a basketball perspective um, and met some amazing people. But, but uh, her coach, Coach Galasso, um, told me she knew visit one, that she, was, she would end up there. I didn't know visit one, um, but I was, I was very, very pleased with her decision. Um, it, it, and it goes beyond basketball. I mean, we have found that the environment at WPI is nurturing in, as a whole, the, the academic support, student support. Um, I'm sure you're going to talk about project-based learning because it's one of your favorite things. Um, but that, you know, had, had she not been a student athlete, I wouldn't have had that one person that I knew was going to be sort of that, as they call her, mom on campus. So it's pretty cool. Totally. And how is um, the relationship with your teammates, mm-hmm. I would envision, let me know if I'm wrong, Delaney, as yeah. a non-athlete over here, <laughs> you know, but as someone who went to college and works with lots of students who have gone to college, mm-hmm. like that's a difficult transition going yeah. to a place where maybe you don't know anyone mm-hmm. uh, and just adjusting to being away from home for the first time. I would imagine that having that family environment on the team is makes that transition easier. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. That was one of like a huge part at the beginning. It was definitely difficult. Um, you're learning, you're meeting so many people. You have to learn all the new systems in basketball, but mm-hmm. outside of like just living on your own, like doing all your own things for yourself. I would say that like having the team, like there's so many people, whether it be like classes or the same major, whatever you needed, they had probably gone through it. So you could ask them a yeah. question. Even if it was something that you thought was like totally silly, they were, they would help you out. And then just like having us over, like they knew they've been through it. They know it's not easy. So like just everyone has each other's backs and everyone was able to help out at different times. That's great. Do you feel a special connection with your fellow freshman (laughs) basketball players? I think I've seen pictures on Facebook. (laughs) Are there like five of you? I've seen, I've seen a crew on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah, there's five of us, and we clicked right away. Um, my roommate is on the basketball team, which was a great decision for us, and she's definitely one of my best friends. And then the rest, we've all just were so close, and I'm living with them again next year. So it just kind of shows that you kind of bond together. You guys are we're all going through the same thing. We're transitioning into the same. People are going to do it differently, but we're all not home. Like we're all going through new basketball life, and it's just so nice to like have people that you can do it with. That's wonderful. And looking actually back on your search pro- process to go mm-hmm. back in time a, l- a little bit yeah. in retrospect, now that, that you have a, you know, we're, you're a year or two out from, from that process. Is there anything that you would have done differently looking back on it? Um, I, I don't think so. I feel like yeah. everything, obviously having COVID thrown in there was a little bit of a wrinkle for me. Um, in the moment, it felt like nothing was going to work out. It felt like panic. And it probably feels like that even when you don't have a global pandemic, yeah. because you just, you never know. Like it's all so unknown. Like yes. you're sending an email and you may or may not get a response or like you could yeah. email a coach five or six times. And then all of a the sudden they're just not going to respond. And you just kind of have to go through that. And then you find the person or the coach that shares the same values values as you. And then most of the time the team has the similar values. And I feel like that's kind of how you go. You decide. That's great. Stacy. how about from the mom perspective, any advice that you would offer for those athlete moms starting yeah. out on this process? So a couple of things, I think, um, you know, if, if someone is really early in the process, trying to figure out what their options are, Look for an AAU program or a, a club program that supports the college search process. Mm-hmm. Um, that was huge. Uh, Delaney was a member of Mass Frenzy her whole life, um, and the Frenzy organization was very instrumental in sort of connecting her with coaches that she thought might be interested in who might not have connected with her. Uh, prior to going to tournaments, they always provided tournament lists so that that athletes could reach out to the coaches proactively to say, these are our game times, this is where we'll be. Um, like everything else in the college coach world, this is your student's process. You can encourage them. You can drive them. They should be doing this. If they're not doing it, you should absolutely be, you know, not be driving it. Um, you know, Delaney was lucky that 
a huge part of her process happened during COVID when we were locked down and she had nothing but time. Um, but you need to control the process. It's very lengthy. Uh, it requires a tremendous amount of work. Um, it requires a lot of follow-up. So things like, you know, we were thinking about this the other day. When she started her process, her sort of net of schools was probably about 40. Um, and that was just because we have no idea where to begin. She was kind of like, well, maybe this or maybe that started communicating with those with those coaches. But of those 40, you might only have gotten 10 responses. What's also interested, interesting, and you found this quite a bit, was once you're in the process, you keep hearing from new folks that you hadn't considered. So then you have to sort of recompartmentalize and decide, does this make sense for me? Should I include this school in my search? Um, interesting, different, um, but really important for parents to obviously be in the periphery, maybe prodding and helping. Student has to drive the process. Um, communication has to be in their voice, the you know, email, phone calls, texting. You know, I remember vividly wondering where she was one day. She was pumping gas and one of the text, one of the coaches called her and she sat at the gas station for 45 minutes talking to a coach. Let it happen. Um, that's how they're going to figure out where they belong. Um, so I think, you know, very much like everything else we talk about, it's the student's process. Be there to support. Obviously, you want to understand what it looks like, what the big picture is, you know, what the, the, the campus environment would be. But beyond that, it's up to them. Perfect. And Delaney, how you know, how did your first year go as as a student athlete? Can you identify you know what what you found most rewarding about it? What might have been challenging about it in retrospect? Um, yeah, I would say like looking back on the year, like knowing that like you did it and like you went through a whole season and you figured out how to balance college with basketball and figuring out how to make friends and all of the things that seem like so scary in the moment, like just looking back and knowing that I did it, I would say um, basketball wise, like you're probably, if you're playing in college, you're probably one of the best uh, players on your team. And then you go to an environment where you guys were all the best players on your team. Right. There's people that have all of this experience. And I think that the mindset that you have to have is really just like how much you want to learn. So like, we're able to soak so much in and I was able to learn so much like in practices and games and watching film. It's just like, there's so much that you have to learn. So you can't like get frustrated with yourself. Like, Oh, this isn't going well. I'm not learning this because it's so different. And it's so much, um, school wise, I would say that I did a, like a schedule, um, like hour by hour type of schedule. Like when I knew I had free time, because we try to make it so that you're done with your homework for the most part before practice so that you can just take a break. You can get ready for practice. You can practice, eat dinner, whatever after, and then start studying for whatever you have coming up. So I think that you have to be organized. You have to learn time management really quick because you don't really have time to, especially seven week terms, there's not really time to just fall behind and not be able to figure it out. Um, So I would say that those are the biggest takeaways. How much of your actual time does basketball take up in terms of practices, games, all of that good stuff? Um, on game days, it's a lot. Um, I would say like the weekend games are different. Our coaches are very conscious of making sure that we have time to do what we need to do during the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so on game days, we normally have um, like shoot around in the morning and then you go to your classes and then you show up to depending on how early you want to be like two hours before the game. So you can get taped and you can do what you need to do pregame. Everyone on our team had their own pregame ritual. And then we'd all end up at the same spot at the same time. Um, So, and then you have the game, then you have post game, then you need to eat. So I'd say that that's more of full, more of a full day, but not full day because you still have classes, but um, practices are probably three or four hours. Depends on how long your practices is. We would have film. After practice, you could stay and you could chew. Um, you'd go to the trainers, you would get treatment. So you just kind of have to plan all of that into your day. Um, I'm someone that has to be super early to everything because I don't like the feeling of being the last one there. So I would show up yes. super early to practices, <laughs> which was a way that I would give myself a little bit of like self-care time, like walking to practice, being a little bit early is just mm-hmm. like time where I'm not thinking about school and I'm starting to prepare for basketball. Wow, that's that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Again, as someone who was not a college athlete, yeah. I feel like balancing schoolwork is in and, in and of itself a, a challenge. And that, that's obviously a huge, huge commitment yeah. in addition to your schoolwork that, uh, but I, I, I can understand how it could be, 
helpful also in kind of keeping you on task when you know you have practice that evening, like you got to get your homework done before that. Yeah. I've always done better when I've been busy. So it was definitely Mm -hmm. an adjustment time-wise, but um, being busier helped me really focus and get my things done that I need to get done before practice. Yeah. And and Stacey had dropped into the conversation that project-based learning, you want to just just explain a little bit about what that is? So they, at WPI, they try to focus more on not test sitting you down for a test. They don't like, obviously there's going to be classes where you have to have exams for understanding, but they, especially in the business um, school, I'm a business major. They really focus on um, collaborative learning. So they want you to be working with the people next to you. Like in every class I've had so far, I've had like a group and like the group of four people and we work together all year and we're working on different projects and like most of my classes, I have like a final project. So I'm writing a paper and then I'm presenting it and I'm not testing and sitting down and testing, which has not been something that I've ever loved to do. And <laughs> so having somewhere where I'm just able to talk to people and work with people. And obviously my whole life I've worked with people being on teams. Yeah. So I think that it kind of just carried over and it made it a lot easier for me, like understanding wise, like if I have a question, the person next to me probably understands it. And they don't do pluses and minuses at WPI. They just have the A, B, C so that you're not competing with the person sitting next to you to try to get the A plus over them or the A minus over the B plus. Um, So I think that that was another big thing that they try to really push. I love that. Save the competition for the basketball court, not in the classroom. Um, Stacy, I'm wondering from your perspective, I know you've always been super supportive of, of Delaney and, and all of her pursuits, including her <laughs> athletic pursuits. What is the difference from your standpoint, transitioning from high school athlete, mom to college athlete, mom, how is it, how has that transition been for you? It's a great question. Um, and it's one that I, I, you know, as parents out there listening, it's going to be very different for you. Your involvement will be extraordinarily limited, whether you were involved in, in high school or not. Um, one thing I would tell everyone who plays college athletics, regardless of the sport, is in high school, if you are aspiring or would become a college athlete, recognize that you were probably a star athlete in high school. In college, you were going to be one of many star athletes. And just kind of prepare yourself for that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things that you might have been involved in in the past, you probably won't be going forward, which is not a problem. It's a growth period, right? Right. Um, the other thing that I would recognize and I want to underscore, because as I've talked to, to parents of sort of this year's athletes, so, um, you know, friends of hers who might be leaving high school, going to college and parents would ask me what the experience was like, even though she's at a division three college, it's a very competitive uh, uh, um, athletic conference that they're in. It's obviously a very uh, rigorous academic institution. You need to recognize that division three athletics is not just hanging out, chucking a ball up. She is dedicating four hours, four hours a day of her time in season on non-game days, but also off season. So they started practicing the unofficially as a team a few days after she got on campus. Her last workout uh, before she came home was the day she came home. So don't consider it just whatever your season is. It's it's a it's a full year process, um, and really sort of as a parent, help your, your student recognize that they're going to build this into her, into their, into their, uh, into their world. Give her full credit for her time management. She did a great job when she started calendaring and houring things out. I was like, okay, she's good. Um, but recognize that, you know, if you put sort of a, a timeline around it for her, it was four hours. Um, and it felt like four hours almost every day. Game days were more. Um, but generally she built that into her day. Um, Games and, and other experiences are a little bit different as well. You don't get to, you know, you won't speak to the coach, if at all, unless you want to. Again, we have a great opportunity with her coach. Um, during the recruiting process, if parents have an opportunity to spend a minute or two alone with the coach, they should. It should be separate from the, the student process. And the student should absolutely spend time alone with the yes. coaches and the players. Um, you know, one thing that we've learned, and her coach said this to us, the coach that recruits you is not always the same coach you play for. One person is in one role as a recruiter and another role as the coach doesn't mean they're it's different. doesn't mean good or bad, just different. And I think in some ways you experience that, but at the end of the day, the environment that you saw was the environment that you found. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
That's great. And it's interesting as you were both talking about the challenge of being high school superstar to being Mm -hmm. one among many superstars Mm -hmm. at college, the non-athlete nerd in me (laughs) immediately (laughs) thinks to the students that we work with who end up at very, very highly selective schools. And it's a, it seems to me a very similar experience where they were the superstar academic person at their high school. And it can be challenging when they get to this very selective school where everyone is, Mm -hmm. you know, just as smart as they are and that they're not used to that experience. And some, some students can't handle that experience. Uh, But I think it sounds like Delaney, you have handled sort of a similar experience very, very well, taking it as an opportunity to learn, learn from those other superstars around you. And whether it's at basketball or academically, uh, that's, I think, the attitude that you have to go in with. So that that's really great. And I think we're just about out of time. Any last words of wisdom for the students or the parents out there listening about this whole prospect? process anything Um, you'd like to leave them with I would just say enjoy it it's going to be a long process but if you love it you're going to enjoy it so you always make the right decision at some point that's fantastic (laughs) great so thank you thank you so much both of you for joining us Stacey I know it's part of your job I won't thank (laughs) you that much but thank you very much Delaney this was a real treat getting to talk to you today Mm -hmm. Um, and I think you've been a big help to all of the the students out there listening. So thanks so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you, everybody. You're very welcome. And listeners, stick around because we are answering your questions next. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to Getting In, a college coach conversation. And I'm so excited to be doing my favorite regular segment uh, that we do on the show, listener questions. So we're answering questions that all of you have sent in to us. uh, And we are always in the market for new questions. So please, I know this this whole process can be stressful, but you don't need to be carrying around sort of unnecessary stress because you don't, you know, understand some part of this process. Just ask us. We're happy to, to answer your questions. Um, there are so many ways you can send them into us. You can submit them through our website. I'll read you the direct URL is info.getintocollege.com slash radio dash show. I know that that's a lot. If you just go to getintocollege.com, navigate to our resources, you'll find a way the way to submit questions there. You can also email them into us at gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Or what's probably the easiest way, reach out to us on social media. We're on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, 
drop into our DMs with any questions that you have, and we will get to them just as soon as we can. Uh, and joining me today to help answer your questions is my colleague, Aisha Wong. Uh, she's also a former admissions officer uh, at the University of Florida. How's the weather down there in Florida today, Aisha? Uh, it's pretty nice. <laughs> Definitely warm. Kind of um, always sunny. is. Very Florida. <laughs> Hot and sunny, yep. <laughs> yeah. Except for those afternoon showers, I think yes. they tend to go. Just about yes. an hour every day throughout the entire yes. course of the summer. <laughs> That is great. So thanks so much for joining me today, Aisha. So we're going to dig into our questions. Um, and I've actually got two for you to start uh, because I, I think that they're they're very similar um, or they're at least related. So the first question came into us from Facebook and it says, I'm sure you've seen the article about the student who applied to over... 200 schools. Yikes. Uh, as a parent of a rising high school senior, what are your thoughts on this trend of students applying to a large number of colleges? Um, and then second question related, uh, if a student is apply, is planning to apply to 20 plus colleges, okay, at least we're down from 200 <laughs> to over 20, Still, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's too many, Asia. but you can correct me if I'm wrong. But if a student is planning on applying to more than 20 colleges, can they open a second Common App account? Because I think the Common App has a, a 20 school limit. Would this hurt their application to colleges even if they used a different email? And can they use the same name for that second account? So help us out here, Aisha, yeah. but the whole the whole thing about applying to lots and lots of colleges. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think this is a really great question and really relevant right now, because I know that I've noticed this uptick in the number of students who are applying to what appears to be a very large number of colleges. Mm -hmm. um, although I do think 200 plus is very much an outlier. Um, I don't think that's in any way typical I hope so. <laughs> of what we're seeing with students. Um, and I mean, I do understand that there are some very real factors that might contribute to a student's desire to do this. I mean, you know, there is, you know, an increased ease in applying to a larger number of colleges. You know, they've taken away um, the need for test scores at a lot of institutions. Uh -huh. There's the Common App, there's a the coalition application. Um, and then also there's this unpredictability that exists that can kind of make students feel like they need to hedge their bets in some mm -hmm. way in this process. So I get it. I get that there can feel like there's this push. Um, but I do think that students should really create some uh, really firm and realistic limits around the number of colleges that they apply to. And I think that there's uh, two primary things that a student should consider when they're kind of making this decision about whether or not to apply to a very large number of colleges or to limit themselves um, to a certain amount. Mm -hmm. And I think the first is their bandwidth. So in other words, you know, how much time and energy and resources do you have as a student to actually put towards you know, pushing forth the highest quality application that you can to each and every single school that's on your list. And I often see when a student applies to, you know, 20 plus institutions, which to me is still a lot, mm -hmm. um, they find themselves having to make sacrifices somewhere in the process. You know, it might be yes. a sacrifice to their academic performance yeah. in school. It might be a sacrifice in their involvement, their leadership, um, their social activities and social interactions, or even more realistically, a sacrifice to the quality of the applications that they're actually submitting yes. to institutions. And to me, in an ideal world, there would be zero sacrifice um, involved in this process. And students would really be putting forth their best self each and every single time that they apply somewhere. Um, so that's the first thing I'd want the student to consider is, you know, what do you really have the means to accomplish during this very limited time period during an already very busy time of year for you as a senior? Yes. Um, the second thing would be the outcome. So when you really think about it, you know, if you are applying to 20 plus institutions or 200 plus institutions, um, does every school in that list really 
qualify as somewhere that you can see yourself being. If you're going to spend this time and this energy um, completing these applications and working through this entire process for an institution, hopefully it is somewhere that you feel an attachment to, somewhere that you, you know, have some understanding of like the opportunities and the experience and what you might take away from your time at this institution. And so, you know, I like to think about the outcome and whether or not it really is a benefit to be admitted um, to so many institutions, especially if you have real, no, no real intention of potentially Uh enrolling at any of them. Um, So that's the other thing I want a student to kind of think about. And I think, you know, as a student, you really want to make the most of your time and focus on the quality over the quantity um, when it comes to that college list. That um, makes so, yeah, so much sense. 20 feels like a lot. <laughs> I like <laughs> a student to stay below 15 if I can get them to stay below 15 because I feel like that's really a reasonable number. And yes. usually that means that every school on their list is somewhere that they you know, really dug into and have a clear understanding about whether or not this is a place that they could actually be or want to be. Right. Which is so important, not only to, you know, making the final decision, Mm -hmm. but in those supplemental essays, if the colleges they're applying to have them, right. Cause you often need to explain why you're a good fit for this school or what you like about this school. And if you're applying to 20 or 30 schools, you're so right about that limited time and energy that you have. You won't be able to do a good job of that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I think to answer the, the second part of the question, you know, how if a student does have 20 plus institutions that hopefully they feel a really genuine connection to, I think that's fine. You know, if you do ultimately, you know, find 20 plus schools and you do all your research and you're like, I really feel attached to this set of schools. Um, that's fine. Um, but so I don't think that they should approach the process by having two common application accounts and maybe mixing up their emails and their names. I think that can create some issues on the back end of the process, in particular for the school counselor and the colleges who are working to process students' materials. Um, there's a lot of moving pieces and a lot to think about and collect and do and match um, and you just want to avoid the potential for any, you know, mix-ups or challenges related yes. to them processing your materials. So I would say that's not the right approach. I would say instead, um, figure out which schools on that list accept maybe the coalition application or still have their own institutional application that they utilize maybe, a, you know, in tandem with the common application and then apply to those schools using those other alternative applications and you know, the common app for the rest that don't offer that opportunity. That's a really good point. That makes a lot more sense. Or just keep your life easier and apply to less than 20 yeah. schools. That <laughs> Lose too, a that's, day, Asia. That's a, that's a good choice too, 100%. Yes. Oh, and I'll also just throw in from the financial perspective, it gets real expensive to apply to a lot of schools. With a, the, Most of them will have substantial application fees, and again, to your point, Asia, if you're not going to end up there in the end, don't waste the time. Don't waste the money. Yep. Exactly right. Yeah. Perfect. Do you have a question for me? Yes, I do. Um, so Titus asked us a question via YouTube and they ask, um, if I'm 20 years old and live on my own, can I apply for financial aid without my parents? So the answer is probably not, Titus. Um, The federal government has very specific qualifications for what makes you independent for financial aid purposes. And that's essentially, Titus, what what you're asking for. Can I be independent for financial aid purposes and apply for financial aid just on my own without my parents' information? Uh, In order to automatically qualify as an independent student, there's, there's sort of a list of qualifications, one of which is being 24 years old. Sounds like you're not quite there yet, Titus. Uh, also, being in graduate school, um, having being married or having your own children as the student, um, being in the armed forces or, or a veteran of the armed forces, being under 
there's some additional stipulations to this, but being under foster care, legal guardianship, uh, being legally emancipated, those things will make you automatically independent for federal financial aid purposes. Outside of that, the financial aid offices will generally want your parents' information. And it, you know, it's a way to be fair to people, you know, whether your parents want to pay for college or not. You know, if given the choice, every parent would say, no, I don't want to pay for college. So don't consider me at all. So they want to collect uh, parental information um, from most students, most sort of traditionally college age students uh, who don't meet any of those other special circumstances. Now, if you don't meet any of those automatic qualifications for being an independent student, um, it is not impossible to apply for financial aid on your own, um, but you would have to appeal for what is called a dependency override. That's like the official term in the financial aid office. That's what you would ask the financial aid office about. Um, but generally, you have to have fairly um, extreme circumstances for a college to approve a dependency override. They actually ask a question on the FAFSA. And if you say yes to this question, you can submit your FAFSA without your parents' information. And it asks, I wrote it down here, do unusual circumstances prevent the student from contacting their parents or would contacting their parents pose a risk to the student. And then they go on to give some examples of when this would be the case. If you say yes to this question, you then have to um, document what those circumstances are for the financial aid office, essentially why it's really impossible or dangerous for you to access your parents' information, not that you just don't want to submit it or you know, you've got, you're in college, your sophomore in college is 20 years old and you're, uh, you've got your own apartment, but your parents are really like still in your life and still supporting you financially or otherwise, that's not going to fly and you're going to need to provide their information for financial aid purposes. Now, just to throw it out there so everyone knows, providing your information as a parent on financial aid applications does not in any way actually obligate you to pay for college. Again, it's sort of a fair review of comparing all students and who's the neediest. They're going to take parental information into account in awarding financial aid. But then sort of your obligation is done at that point. You don't have to actually pay for college if you want the student to take out student loans to pay for it or work to pay for it, that you can still do that. It's not any kind of, you're not obligating yourself by providing your information. You're just opening up financial aid eligibility for your child. Okay. I'm curious, Shannon, to follow up on that. So if a student doesn't have the documentation they need and they're trying to qualify for this exception, mm -hmm. what do you think might be like their next best course of action um, in the process? Like what, what could they do next to really help themselves um, if they're not able to get any sort of like solid documentation? Yeah. And I would recommend that they work with the financial aid office at their school who can tell, tell the student exactly what will suffice as documentation. Sometimes, you know, there's no like legal documentation, but maybe they could get a letter from sort of an impartial third party that can explain the situation with the parents. Um, I've had letters from school counselors, from lawyers, from um, clergy members, somebody who's kind of impartial. You can't like, they probably wouldn't, wouldn't fly to have your older brother write the, like the letter on your behalf. I mean, that it might help support it, but they want somebody sort of impartial. Uh, and I mean, I fully grant that some, that can even be difficult because sometimes there's situations with families that nobody outside the family knows. Uh, but I definitely recommend working with the financial aid office and they can let you know what kind of documentation will suffice. And generally the financial aid office uh, staff, they're nice people, <laughs> they're helpful people. They're there because they want to help students afford college. So I would be kind of open with them about your situation and they can work with you. Um, 
in terms of what you need. Now for, for students who, you know, are just, you know, applying to college and maybe they, they can't get any kind of documentation. It's not going to fly. Their parents won't um, provide information. They can still borrow um, some student loans. They can do that without their parents' information um, though, depending on the college that might not you know, cover enough. Um, there's always the community college option that a student might be able to kind of work and pay for on their own. Um, you know, at, if the, the four-year route seems like it's not going to work out without the parent's information or the parent's support, there's ways to do things that are less expensively. Uh, but yeah, kind of general rule, you, if you're a traditional age college student, you need your parents' information and it has to be uh, more kind of extreme circumstances for them to allow you to apply without it. Yeah. yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm glad that they have the financial aid officers at the schools as a resource. I think that's yeah. something that they should definitely lean into. And like you said, they're really there to help. They're really there to totally. guide students as best as they can and kind of get them into these schools for in the sure. best possible way. So it makes a lot for of sense. sure. And I think that's good advice, sort of no matter your circumstance, if it's not like unusual, just kind of regular questions that you have, like right. your admissions officers and your financial aid officers are there to help. And that's generally, mm-hmm. I think I could speak sort of across the board for, for most of them. Like that's why they got into this kind of profession. They love working with college students. Um, and I know that sometimes, again, even like non-extreme circumstances, just simple questions, sometimes students or parents sometimes are just shy about asking or worrying if it will be held against them in some way. And I think, Asia, we can both say, don't worry. <laughs> really, they're there to answer your questions. Sometimes they get busy and that's something you have to be prepared for that they might not answer your call right away or reply to your email right away, but they are there to help and want to help and don't be shy about asking questions. Absolutely. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So the next question um, for you, Aisha, um, is how much, if any, Um, Does the relationship between a high school guidance counselor and a college admissions team affect students getting into certain schools? Do colleges not accept students from certain high schools intentionally for whatever reason? Ooh, conspiracy. (laughs) Are there conspiracies out there, Aisha? (laughs) No, there are not. (laughs) Um, Just to answer directly. But um, I think it's important to kind of first understand what that relationship between the counselor and that admissions team really looks like. I mean, you know, college admissions counselors are kind of tasked with gaining a really clear understanding of the schools that their students Uh are uh, applying from um, in order to kind of better serve those students in the review process. And so the relationship between the school counselor and the admissions counselor serves to give them that context and that information they need to have a more equitable and fair review and decision-making process from that admissions perspective. Um, So often it isn't any sort of relationship where it becomes something where you feel like uh, a personal or a negative feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, and so it does kind of matter that that school counselor, you know, be really engaged and forthcoming with the admissions counselor um, about their school and their students so that that admissions counselor can, like I said, have the best, most well-informed review process. Mm-hmm. So that that is important. And, you know, I would, you know, have students definitely engage with their school counselor and gain an understanding of, you know, are admissions, admissions counselors coming to my school to visit? Can I meet up with them? Um, you know, do they have a copy of our school profile? What is their understanding of our school? Um, and having that that clarity on how that relationship looks and how that process works. Um, but I have never in my 12 years in admissions <laughs> ever encountered um, an admissions counselor, you know, choosing not to admit students from a particular school due to that relationship or due to really any other factor or reason um, outside of that student's actual yeah. application and their profile. That is just, Good. you know, not something that typically happens. Um, admissions counselors are just trying to do their best to 
to have a fair and equitable admissions review process. Perfect. Very good to hear. And I think it goes to something we say all the time is control what you can in this process. And don't worry about all these rumors and things you hear. Just control what you can. Try and let the rest go. Right. Right. Um, and yeah. that is all the time we have for today, Aisha. I wanted to hear you talk more, but we've totally run out of time. So thank you so much for, for joining me today, Aisha. This was super fun. Yeah, definitely. Um, good. I hope you'll come back one of these days. And thank you listeners for joining us today. If you did enjoy this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps um, other students and parents out there find us. And do Stay tuned for our episode next week. It sounds very exciting to me. We have sort of an Ivy League cage match going on. It's what it sounds like to me. We've got representatives from Princeton and Dartmouth joining us to talk about their respective schools and which is better. Oh, this this could be very interesting. I think they'll be nice to each other, but but you'll have to tune in to find out. Um, And we'll also be talking about 529 college savings plans because it is almost 529 day on May 29th, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, 529. We're going to talk about how to spend your 529 plan effectively um, to pay for college. Uh, So please do tune in next week and join us every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.